podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC. Folks, we are approaching Liverpool versus Manchester United just over 48 hours away at Old Trafford. A scene of a great victory last season, a scene of a couple of great wins down the years. Also a scene, though, where Liverpool have gone under Jurgen Klopp and really failed to perform. United have usually, in the Klopp era, bed in and hope for the best. Parking the bus, hoping to spring the counter-attack, use the pace they have. And Liverpool haven't reacted well to that in a lot of their recent visits there. Come away with a number of draws that were disappointing when United were not very good and Liverpool were great. But the way the team is playing right now, it feels like they should be able to adapt to just about any approach from Solskjaer. And let's be clear, Solskjaer doesn't have any great tactical approach. It's either park the bus and hope for the best on the counter or hope for the best going head to head that your individual talents beat ours. That's basically their way of going about things. If all else fails, throw on a bunch of other attackers and let's see what happens. Liverpool have the better manager, the better goalkeeper, the better right-back, the better left-back, the better centre-backs, the better midfielders and the better attacker in Mo Salah. The rest of the attack might be even. They've got great attacking talent. There's no point in saying otherwise. Between Rashford, Sancho, Greenwood, Martial, Cristiano, Cavani, and you can include Bruno Fernandes, they've got incredible attacking talent. But everywhere else, they're lacking compared to us. They won't have Rafa Varane for this game, which is a huge blow, because the Maguire-Lindelof pairing really does lack pace, and Maguire is in hilariously poor form at the moment. Martial, Ahmed Diallo, Marcus Rashford, all doubts for this game. Rashford has a, has a dead leg, but I'd expect him to be back. There are some reports this morning that Bruno Fernandes is a doubt, but I wouldn't put too much stock into them. It's likely just some mind games coming from them. Jürgen has given an update regarding the fitness of our players, and it looks like it will just be Harvey and Thiago who miss out this weekend. It does look like Curtis Jones will be back. Whether he's fit enough to start, I don't know. He might just make the bench. It would be nice to have him starting, given what we saw from the midfield at the during the week against Atletico. The big question mark for Klopp is the midfield. He's got his four first-choice attackers all fit, so... Whatever 3 he picks will be fine. He's got all his defenders fit. We know Trent will start. I'm fairly certain Virgil will start. He could change the other two. He could bring in Kanate or Gomez for Matip and give Joel a rest. He could bring in Costas for Andy Robertson and give Robbo a rest. Robbo didn't have the best game in Madrid during the week. So he has those options, but the big questions are in midfield. Fabinho will start. There's absolutely no doubt he will start. You have to start him. He's the most important midfielder at the club and has been since the day he arrived. The other two positions are questionable, though. Naby Keita has been in really good form this season, but had one bad game. A bad game in which he still scored, and he still got through plenty of defensive work, Regardless of what people like Didi Haman 
want you to believe. Naby doesn't just play on the ball. He is an absolute monster off the ball. His off-ball numbers are the best of any Liverpool midfielder. James Milner's 35. Can he handle three games in a week? Didn't have a great game in Madrid. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain came off the bench in Madrid and played really well, but he hasn't played well this season. Jordan Henderson had another poor game in Madrid. That's eight poor games out of ten this season. That's concerning. His defensive numbers are really poor. And we've seen the lapses defensively from him this season. Many of them get excused, unlike the Cato ones, because he's simply not in position to get beaten. Some people seem to view that not doing your job is better than doing your job but making a mistake, which is a strange view to take. We've obviously seen Cato be subject to some really bad journalism this week. One journalist tried to defend his piece by saying, well, I hadn't written about him this season. So he had six good games and you thought it was okay just to write about the one bad game. That's basically what you're telling us. You you ignored the six good games and focused on the one bad game. And this is the problem with how people view Naby. You hear this nonsense. So he's never had a signature game since joining the club. It's just not true. He has. He's also had far more good games than bad games. The bad games you can count on one hand. But he's got the highest winning percentage of any Liverpool player ever. He's played 84 games for the Reds. They win like 72% of them. That's ridiculous. Liverpool are a better team when Naby Keita plays. But journalists don't want you to think that. They want you to think, well, his off-ball work is poor. Defensively, he's poor. None of this is true. He got beaten twice by two of the best dribblers in Europe. But he's an easy target. Doesn't speak great English. Very quiet. He's not going to bite back at them. He doesn't give interviews anyway, so they're not losing out on anything. But his defensive work is better than the midfielders that you'll never hear criticised. He's played far better this season than those you'll never hear criticised. Six good games, not a word. One poor game, hammered. And now the narrative is, oh, it's a mixed bag. I'm sorry, six good games, one bad game is not a mixed bag. That's normal. That's basically par for the course. Across a 38-game season, that would be 30 good games, five bad games, and then the other three as to whatever you want them to be. If someone only had five bad games in a season, that would be a really good season. We've seen players win awards having been bad for months at a time. But if you ignore it, if you ignore bad form, like you ignore good form, you can pretend it didn't happen. So when the player who's in really bad form has a couple of good games, because you've never mentioned the bad form, 
you can try and push a narrative that they're having a great season and ignore the facts of what's actually happened, like they'll ignore the facts of what's actually happening with, Na happening with Naby Keita. He's having a good season. Last season, he was mostly good. What do people remember? Real Madrid away. Not the games before that. So, I would love to see Jürgen start Naby again in this game because I think he deserves to start in this game because he's been good this season. He's better on the left of the midfield three than he is on the right of the midfield three. So hopefully that's where he starts. And on the other side then, it will likely be Henderson, but Oxlade-Chamberlain's worth a look. Curtis Jones could be worth a look. Either way, we should have more than enough for them in midfield. They've played the McFred combination. They've played Matic plus one of them. They've played Matic and Pogba. Pogba plus one of them. And none of it's worked. They will be very unlikely to go with Pogba in midfield against us. He either plays left wing or he doesn't play, is my guess. And if he plays left wing, that's great for us. Because it means Rashford's not playing. It means Sancho's probably not playing. Because Greenwood will most likely be right wing. Cristiano will be through the middle. And Bruno will be in the number 10 spot. Rashford and Sancho worry me far more than Cristiano Ronaldo at this point in his career and Paul Pogba. Here's hoping Oli overthinks this, gets really clever with himself and six Pogba left wing. Jumping around the Liverpool sites, Liverpool.com have a couple of interesting pieces. One about Naby Keita. Uh, Naby Keita criticism is not fully justified, but Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp can still expect more. I think that's fair. I think it's balanced. I haven't read the article, but that's absolutely a fair way of looking at it. But they can't expect much more in terms of the actual performances he's putting in on the pitch. What they can expect more of is him to be fit to play. That's that's the only thing that's held Keita back since he joined Liverpool, has been injuries. It hasn't been bad performances or anything of that nature. There's a piece about Yuri Thielemans. Yuri Thielemans can be a 50 million Liverpool transfer bargain as midfield questions intensify. Um, I love Yuri Thielemans. He's out of contract in 2023. So next summer, he only has the one year left. It would be well worth Liverpool's time kicking the tyres on that one. It's believed that he's not all that keen on signing a new deal with Leicester because he feels like he can do better. He can step up into a Champions League team, which is absolutely fair. So he could be one to keep an eye on. Liverpool must continue to monitor four-goal hero who wants to emulate Luis Suarez and Mohamed Salah. Patson Dacca's move to Liverpool eluded him in the summer, but the Zambian could still end up at Anfield if he continues his recent goal-scoring goal form. Patson Dacca is a Liverpool fan, wanted to join Liverpool for whatever reason Liverpool didn't have concrete interest in him in the summer. He went on to Leicester, he scored four during the week, scored at the weekend against Manchester United. And... I mean, there's no doubting his ability in front of goal. It's everything else that's really questioned about him. Is he a good enough all-round player to fit in a club like Liverpool where so much is demanded of the players? 
If he continues to develop, then he can become that player. The issue is, if he continues to develop, Leicester are going to want 70 or 80 million for him. If he's continuing to score at an impressive rate, Leicester are going to want huge money for him. And that's unlikely to be something Liverpool are willing to do, especially when you see more and more strikers and more and more players come through at clubs like Salzburg, clubs like Rennes, Nordelsjand, Ajax, through the Belgian League, through the French League. You're seeing more and more players develop. You're seeing more and more bargains pop up. Liverpool would probably prefer to pay the $34 million for Adeyemi this summer than $70 million for Daka next summer. So it's going to be hard for Daka to get that move considering the financial constraints. Uh, speaking of Adeyemi, he has said it is an honour to be linked with a move to Liverpool, which is promising. And um, he's having a sensational season. His Champions League performances have been excellent, absolutely excellent. So uh, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Liverpool can seal a bargain transfer for record-breaking forward if FSG tap into new market. So Ricardo Pepe, I think his name is. I could be Pepe. I think it's Pepe. Um, don't know much about him. Plays for the U.S. men's national team. Plays for FC Dallas. Meant to be very, very talented. He's the youngest player in MLS history to score a hat-trick. And he got three goals and, and two assists in his first four uh, USA senior international caps. So clearly a talented boy. The jump from MLS to the Premier League, though, is is enormous. But he could be one to keep an eye on. If he's as big a star as people are making him out to be, or as big a prospect, then he's certainly one that they will have interest in. Uh, on This Is Anfield, there's a lot of build-up to the Manchester United game, obviously. Um, Jürgen's press conference is given plenty of, of run. Uh, Thiago obviously not returning he doesn't look like he'll be back so potentially after the international break um, which is a little bit frustrating but it is what it is we'll wait on him because he's worth waiting for uh, Klopp did not take kindly to being asked about the comparisons between Salah and Cristiano he said why should we compare them obviously both are world class I would say Cristiano's left foot is not that bad, but I would say Mo's right foot is probably better. Cristiano is slightly better in the air, and the right foot is slightly better. Both are pretty quick and desperate to score goals. Jurgen being, being very, very cautious with his uh, with his words here, so as not to upset some people. Uh, he talked about Manchester United second half comebacks, and he talked about penalties and said, "We all know we cannot influence referees." That is true, unless you're Alex Ferguson. You can't influence referees. Um, on AnfieldIndex.com, there's a new article up from Steve Smith uh, having a look at Klopp and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's approaches for this weekend's game. Well worth your while giving that one a read, as always with Steve. And po podcast-wise, we do have quite a few new ones. We have three new ones that came out yesterday. Um, the new, sorry, four new ones that came out yesterday. Rival Recon is out. The new Scouted is out. Myself and Carl looking ahead to United. Um, the new Molby on the spot, which I didn't know was being done yesterday, uh, is out. Trev and Jan having a look ahead to United. 
Jan Moby obviously score of one of the great goals against Manchester United and a brilliant under pressure. Dan Kennett, Dan Rhodes, Cy Brundish and Phil Barker having a chat about Watford and Atletico Madrid. So well worth your while giving all of those a listen. And then get yourself settled in for the weekend, folks. We are going to Old Trafford and we are going to smack them around the place. Fabrizio Romano says this game is key to Oli's future. Let's hand him the keys to his retirement home. See you tomorrow. No, see you Monday. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.